So 2,600 years ago, the Buddha was sitting under a sal tree and made the resolution not to get up from that tree until he attained full awakening. And and probably spent most of the last six years of his ascetic period of his practice in the forest, just like most of the yogis back in those days. Yogi is a word for a meditator or spiritual aspirant. And um, for the rest of his life, following 45 years after his awakening, spent most of his time in the forests and giving teachings, Outside, in the woods, he would meditate in caves and uh, eventually passed away in a forest. And you know, for many, many, many centuries, most people know that the, the meditation practice was outside in the forests and the jungles. And only in more recent times have we gone more indoors with our practice. And so now going outside seems weird. <laughs> seems the, aber- the aberration, not the norm. And, and yet we're all starving for nature. And nature's starving for us, for our attention, for our benevolence, for uh, waking up. So it was interesting just sitting sitting here all morning and then sitting outside on the porch, as cold as it was, uh, just to hear the comments and to you know, feel the, as somebody said, feeling cradled. You know, there's a way that we feel held or supported or nourished or connected or uplifted home, all kinds of things. And, you know, there's tremendous value with sitting inside. I've sat many retreats in here and taught many retreats in this beautiful Dharma Hall. And it's a beautiful thing to sit in a place like this, a sanctuary and silence and stillness. And, you know, this, this itself is a forest. Uh, probably a pine forest and an aspen forest on the roof. And um, and there's something special about taking our practice outdoors, particularly uh, to immerse ourselves outdoors, to allow the natural world to influence and uh, affect us and permeate us and to do its work, to do its magic, to uh, open our hearts, minds. And this is an age-old tradition, whether it's Buddhist monks or Taoist sages Tibetan yogis up in the Himalayas, Indian yogis in the Himalayas in northern India, or the Thai forest tradition in Thailand, or the Zen hermits in Japan, and the Chinese uh, hermits in China. 
many traditions and cultures have both gone to nature for refuge and also established their monasteries and temples and shrines and I was in Bhutan last year and went to um, revered shrine of uh, um, uh, Tibetan Dzogchen master from like 15th century and it was this basically it was a, called a cave but it was really just an overhang and it was up up the hillside overlooked the valley and um, and that practice of Dzogchen is, is very much orienting to the nature of mind that's spacious open vast radiant unobstructed and what better place to access the nature of mind that's vast and unobstructed by sitting up a mountain and looking at the vastness of the sky. So the reason a lot of Tibetan meditation practices have a spacious, vast orientation because of the, the location that they practice in, up in the Tibetan plateau and in the mountains. This is from... Walt Whitman, a tradition slightly closer to home. Climb the mountains and get their good tidings. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunrise flows into trees. The wind will blow their freshness into you and storms their energy, while cares will drop off you like falling leaves. Maybe you've already begun to taste that or sense that, that when we remove ourselves from our screens and our offices and our normal everyday activities, we uh, attune to a larger landscape that's not caught up in all of our human doingness, we start to feel the influence. And I think this word influence is an interesting word to be influenced by. What, what does it mean to let oneself be influenced? Right? We're influenced by many things, culture, media, politics, friends, conditioning, studies. And... Um, you know, as we become an increasingly urbanized species, we are less and less feeling the influence of nature. And our children, grandchildren, youth, are feeling much less the influence of the natural world, which is, you know, has potentially devastating impacts both, both for their mental health and also for the health of the planet as, as we relate to it. So when I first started teaching this practice in early 2000s, and I was invited by a friend to lead a wilderness backpacking retreat in, the, in Arizona, in the canyons, very beautiful uh, Red Rock Canyons near Lake Powell, near Rainbow Bridge, and uh, did a 10-day hiking backpacking retreat, which was very beautiful and very silent in the, as the desert can be. 
and I was transfixed by the power of the practice to, to sit outside in stillness and in attunement to the natural world. And um, you know, I thought a lot about this phrase of the Buddha where at the end of many of his teachings he would say, probably because he was in the forest, he would say to his monks and nuns, there are trees and there are the roots of trees. Go meditate there lest ye regret it later. There are trees and the roots of trees. Go meditate there. Find a tree and meditate. Don't find a nice cozy cabin. <laughs> find a tree. Sit there. And I can't help thinking, you know, back then, when you go find a tree, it was an old growth, you know, virgin forest. It would be an old tree, you know, probably go find an old banyan tree that's, you know, 50 foot across, you know, or an old sal tree that grows to hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. And I can't help thinking that those monks and nuns were influenced by those trees, by that that stillness and presence and depth and you know, what a beautiful support for meditation. He said, go, you know, you know, leave the dusty cities and towns. Leave the troubledness of household life and go into the forest. So that's what we're doing here. We're going into the forest. We're leaving the dusty towns behind for a little while. And so we're sitting in that, in that lineage of the Buddha and millions of people who've spent a lot of time sitting outside, contemplating, reflecting, attuning to both their inner landscape and their outer landscape as a support for well-being, as a support for clarity and wisdom and peace. This is from Mary Oliver, writing about trees. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness, I would say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself, in which I have goodness and discernment, and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, Stay a while, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again, It's simple, they say. And you too have come into this world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. It's easy, they say. You too have come into this world to do this, to be filled with light, and to shine. So, may we shine this week. I know, having done these retreats a lot, that you will be a little sparkly at the end. (laughs) You might not feel very sparkly on the first day. You might feel tired and grumpy, but, you know, at least at times. A little dull and sleepy, foggy, and feeling the influence of your life. We don't just come here and drop our life, our, our lives and our relationships and our struggles and burdens, you know, they, they live in us. So we, we 
we present to those as well as present to the landscape. And hopefully the the greater context and the container and the space and the vastness and the presence and the stillness and the peace that we get from being outside, we see what a great support that is for holding whatever burdens and struggles and challenges we go through. And as we go outside, we literally feel a sense of spaciousness because there's more space. Our awareness expands to the space, so there's more sense of capacity. There's more room for whatever's cooking in us to move and to feel and to play itself out. And we've got some groundedness through the earth and we've got some groundedness through the presence of uh, these beings around us that are still and present and benevolent. So I was talking this morning about how energy follows attention and attention follows curiosity and interest and you know a great support for that nurturance of energy and engagement is the fact that we're allured quite intensively when we're outdoors. Who wasn't allured sitting up on that crag? I mean, I've been up on that crag many times and I don't think I've, I can't remember a more spectacular time sitting with that light and the gold and the ponds and the crisp air and the beauty. I mean, it's just staggering. Is anybody feeling sleepy and dull and bored up there? <laughs> like you commented in a meditation. Right? No, it's, it's enlivening, it's, it's, it's engaging, right? And it touches us, the joy, the beauty, the space, the vastness. It touches the heart, maybe we feel love, connection. I didn't want to leave, and I'm glad some of you didn't leave. <laughs> it's hard to take oneself away from such beauty. And it's a lovely practice. What, one of the nice things about being on retreat is we have time to be influenced. We have time to be touched. We have time to let it soak in. It's, it's rare these days that we give ourselves the time to really saturate in a, in a pleasurable experience. We're so busy and we're doing so much. Maybe if you go to the beach. I notice the beach is one place that we let ourselves kind of hang out for a few hours and just do nothing and fall asleep and read or watch the waves. Or, but most places, you know, we're busy. You know, I live in the Bay Area. In nature, people are busy. You know, they're hiking and running and jogging and 
sprinting and you know all these gadgets that they're using and you know it's all fine it's all exercise fine with that but there's not a lot of just hanging out my experience generally of North America is there's not a lot of hanging out well, North, well, my experience of Northern California, you know, maybe in the South on the porches, you know, there's a little more hanging out. I like the sound of that. You know, watching the world go by, it sounds very civilized. Um, so, and as I also mentioned yesterday, <coughs> Um, you know, this idea, this concept of meditative awareness and learning to abide in meditative awareness. So we de-emphasize the meditation form itself and expand that to, um, to, to establish or cultivate or weave in, or abide in this meditative awareness, whatever we're doing. And uh, the more time we spend outside, the more time we're just sort of hanging out. Maybe we're waiting for people to come for the walk, or we're waiting for meditation to happen, or we're just sitting outside our casita, or whatever we're doing. What I hope that you begin to cultivate is this meditative awareness where it doesn't matter what you're doing or what practice you're doing or not practicing, what you're doing is abiding in meditative awareness. So your time sitting on a chair outside your casita might be as profound if not more than sitting in meditation. You're learning just to abide with this quality of a presence so whatever you're doing you're open, receptive, attuned, open to being touched, influenced. So, you know, sometimes in, in a group like this, there's a, you know, we have to wait for each other, we're waiting around. For me, there's no such thing as waiting in nature. We just, there's a, it's just more moments of meditative awareness, more moments of presence until the next thing happens. So see if you can tune into that. You know, the valuing of each moment, not as a cliche, but as, 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 as a real experience. That doesn't matter what you're doing. I, I find this very true when I'm outside. When I'm outside, no matter what I'm doing, there's a quality of presence that pervades that experience ease, attention, well-being. So to pay attention to the way that your attention is allured, how your attention is teased out, called forth, Right. In meditation, with, often the association with practice is struggle. And I've got to try hard and I focus and I drag my mind back, keep getting distracted and I 
try and work hard and it can feel burdensome. Anybody know that experience? It's like work. And that's part of practice. It's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, we have to work and train our mind. There is a, you know, a work aspect. Um, But my experience when I'm outside is that that work is less. I think of this as the easy path. And maybe a quick, quick path. I don't know about that, but maybe. Because so much of, of wisdom teachings that we're exploring in meditation are very <coughs> self-evident outdoors. Dharma, the word for Dharma is nature. And so we're, in nature, we're seeing the nature of things, so, which is the Dharma, which is the, the same thing. So noticing here what allures your attention, what calls forth this mindful presence. And often it's beauty, it's joy, it's the delight, it's the you know, just I was really reflecting today how much joy comes through seeing. Right? The eyes are these windows to this beautiful earth that we live in and how much joy there is in you know autumn and colors and f- the aspen box and the flight of a bird and the crescent moon rising as it does like what a what a blessing right? so let yourself feel blessed if you feel that you know our lives are often so stressful and <clears throat> not so joy-filled. As I've said, there are a lot of doing and busyness and um, you know, tasks and whatnot. <coughs> but let yourself open to the door of joy. And through the doorway of joy comes awe. Or, or I, have, I can never get this right in American. Awe. Awe. Ah, 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 oh, I, I pronounce it like a, I'm rowing, oh, I'm feeling oh, it's my English. Um, through joy comes awe, through awe comes wonder, through wonder comes mystery, through mystery comes revelation. Joy is a profound doorway to let ourselves be touched, to let ourselves dissolve into a shimmering forest of golden aspen leaves, where we, where we literally dissolve and all there is is a smile and laughter and delight and love. It's a great poem from Mary Oliver again called Mindful, and she says, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in a haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look 
to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world with joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, but of the ordinary, the common, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how could you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. And I know for myself, when I'm in nature, that's true every day. Every day I am struck with delight and and awe. And that's the beauty when we've cultivated our mind and we've trained our attention to be present so we're not lost in our default mode network which is spinning and ruminating about our stories and drama and identity. When we're present enough and we're outdoors, it's very easy to be struck like a needle in a haystack of light. Not that far away. Let yourself be a bell that's struck frequently with joy, with delight. And that doesn't mean you have to be happy. (laughs) That doesn't mean you have to be joyful. But it means there's some openness to being touched, being influenced. And then being mindful what happens when something touches you. You Maybe a bird lands on your porch of your casita or your tent. Or you're noticing a a flower that still survived the the frost. And and you're just moved and and you let yourself feel just a quiet something, sweetness, delight. You let that wash over you and you Oh, joy, right. I remember joy. It's been a while. It's like this. This is um, from Annie Dillard from, uh, what is it, Picnic at Tinker Creek, something like that. One of those. Beautiful book. Uh, She's writing... um, When her doctor took her bandages off and led her into the garden, the girl who was no longer blind saw the tree with the lights in it. It was for this tree I searched and searched through the peach orchards of summer, in the forests of fall and down winter and spring for years. Then one day I was walking along Tinker Creek thinking of nothing at all and I saw the tree with the lights in it. I saw the backyard cedar where the morning doves roost charged and transfigured each cell buzzing with flame. I stood on the grass with lights in it, grass that was holy fire, utterly focused and utterly dreamed. It was less like seeing than like being for the first time seen, knocked breathless by a powerful glance. The flood of fire abated, but I'm still spending the power. Gradually the lights went out in the cedar, The colors died, the cells unflamed and disappeared, but I was still ringing. I had been my whole life a bell and never knew it until at that moment I was lifted and struck. I've only 
I have since only very rarely seen the tree with the lights in it. The vision comes and goes, mostly goes, but I live for it, for the moment when the mountains open and a new light roars in, in a spate through the crack and the mountains slam. That's being touched. That's being influenced and being saturated and transformed and yeah, it's beautiful. <clears throat> so many other reasons why we practice outdoors. Um, joy is one of them. Attention is one of them. Mindfulness becomes easier. We access a sense of peace because the natural world is not busy being. So we come into the presence, as Wendell Berry says, we come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. We come into the presence of wild things. And as he says, we, for a time we rest in the grace of the world and are free. When we attune to a landscape, for the most part, it's not stressing. Even the cows that were a little freaked out about us, you know, they've probably freaked out for about 10 seconds. And they ran, they sort of hobbled and wobbled, and, and then they went back to eating grass. Pretty chill. Animals have a naturally healthy, self-regulating system that sheds stress. We don't. We carry it. We have we somehow something kind of went awry in our, in, our, in our circuitry. So we haven't learned how to de-stress, but well, we, we do it in different ways, but coming into nature is one way that we access peace. When we come out of our thinking, busy, planning mind, we, we attune to a landscape, the mountains, the forests, the grasses, that are not stressing, and, and that influences, it rubs off. We feel a sense of, space or peace. Sometimes when we go outside we feel a sense of perspective. You know, we can get very caught up in our mind and meditation and our lives in here and we step outside, we go for a walk down to the creek or up the road and we suddenly feel a sense of, oh, this problem, this stress, this pain that I'm going through, oh, when I, when I take in the forest and the sky, oh, it's not it's not insurmountable, it's manageable. There's the perspective on it. Another thing we access that's quite rare these days, and becoming rarer, is silence. You know, deep silence that's undisturbed by machine sounds, human sounds, mechanical sounds. I mean, it's never silent, silent, because nature's always... Uh, has sounds within it, but there's a there's a quality of silence that permeates the sounds. Quality of stillness that permeates the sounds, and so we can also feel that when we walk outside, sit outside, and listen to the sound of the crickets or the breeze in the trees, and there's something or the the trickling of the river. And we feel this. We feel a certain stillness. And we let our agitated nervous system settle. 
So I'm just speaking to these different doorways or facets of this experience in order that when you're going about your day here, that you attune to some of these things. Like, oh, right, oh, and I notice as I walked at lunch, there's a you know, feeling the vastness of the New Mexico skies, and I felt a sense of perspective or space. I felt less hemmed in by my mind or my life. Or there's a little more attunement to being touched by beauty, by the, the miracle of life. You know, at times, maybe you feel a sense of, um, through the doorway of presence and, and, and maybe through awe or wonder, you feel a sense of uh, reverence, sense of devotion, sense of being humbled by nature and its rhythms and its vastness and beauty. Watching the sunrise or the moon in the sky or many different things can elicit the sense of reverence. Hello. I know when I'm, I I live, have the good fortune to live by redwoods, groves of redwoods. And whenever I walk amongst those massive ancient trees, I feel this profound sense of reverence for their stature and age and majesty. So many other reasons why we practice. I, I'll speak to more of the wisdom dimension another night. There's a whole lot of profound insights that we can um, experience in nature, um, particularly in related to the theme of this retreat around transience and change and how do we hold that. And um, I'll talk a lot about that another time given that whatever we see, particularly this time of year, is in transition, transience, change. And we see how nature holds that transience, the naturalness of it, the lawfulness of it. There's a phrase I like <clears throat> from these researchers called the Kaplans. They've been doing a lot of research recently on, on uh, nature and the effects of nature on humans. And 
um, they have this word, uh, they talked about the, the quality that arises, quality of attention that arises for people in nature. They, they framed as soft fascination. Soft fascination, which I think is a beautiful description of mindfulness in nature. There's a soft fascination. We're not obsessive. We're not fixated. It's soft. It's receptive. It's open. But it's intensely curious. We become enraptured because of the beauty, complexity, diversity. So let yourself be softly fascinated by your outer landscapes, by hopefully in the same way your inner landscapes. And let yourself, you know, continuing to, as the theme today, continuing to arrive, continuing to settle, Continuing to release and letting yourself be nourished, letting yourself be nurtured by this land, by the silence, by the landscape, by the beauty, by the community. It's a precious thing. Okay, thank you for your attention.